You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me today as we explore ways to increase our mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. Let's start with the breath. The breath is our most powerful tool for getting centered, grounded, and calm. If you're able to, breathe in through your nose for a count of one, two, three, four. Now slowly release the breath through the mouth for a count of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One more time. In, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Repeat this breath work anytime during the day when you feel stress rising or when you notice you've lost your focus. If you'd like to follow a guided meditation, please visit our YouTube channel at Work to Live. We know that our thoughts influence the way our lives play out, but we don't always know how to influence our thoughts so that we're creating the life we really want to live. Today, as we close out the current series on exploring various types of meditation, we'll explore a new methodology for doing just that. The exact origins of kundalini meditation are not known, according to Very Well Mind, although its traditions date back to approximately 1000 BCE to 500 BCE. In Sanskrit, kundalini means awareness, and this meditation tradition seeks to awaken us to our true selves. I have no experience or knowledge about this form of meditation, so I spoke to psychotherapist Mudernan Webster, author of the new book, The Stressless Brain, the power of meditation and psychology to create a stress-free life. Mudernan Webster's life has been balanced by the traditions and practices of Kundalini Yoga. Her love of humanity and fascination with the human mind and behavior guided her towards a career where she could influence people and enrich their lives through the use of psychology and meditation. She received her master's degree from the University of Oregon and moved to California, where she became a licensed marriage and family therapist. She currently runs a full practice out of Napa, California. 
her conviction of the positive influence that meditation has on the psychology and well-being of a person plays a major role in her approach to therapy, which led to the writing of her first book, The Stressless Brain. Welcome, Mother Nan. Hi, it's so wonderful to be here. I loved the book. I really enjoyed reading it. I can't wait to get into this discussion. But before we start talking about meditation, I think I want to start with more of the psychology side because most of our audience has heard some of that before, and I want them to understand how it ties into the meditations that you're going to talk about. So one of the things I'd like to talk about, especially under the current conditions, I'm wondering if you could describe what happens when we hold stress in our body. Yes. So what happens when we hold stress in our body is our body does not know the difference between being attacked by a cyber-toothed tiger, running for our lives, living in a war zone, and worrying about what our kids are doing or not doing because they're not in school, worrying where our spouse is, worrying about our bills, worrying about things. Our organs and our glands don't know the difference. We all have this most amazing, powerful organ called the brain. Science doesn't even fully understand what the brain can actually do. And so that's why I like to say we're working on having a stressless brain, but we have to harness the mind. The mind is the part that we deal with. We're not thinking, oh, my brain is stressed. We're often like it's our thoughts, it's our feelings, all of those things. So when we start ruminating, analyzing, processing, thinking about our everyday life, good, bad, right, wrong, stop, go, all of that, our amygdala gets triggered when anything triggers fight, flight, or freeze. And when that happens, our organs and our glands respond that way. It doesn't know the difference. And so it's really important that we understand that meditation is not shutting off our mind, shutting off our brain, because we would die, literally. So it's really about harnessing, training, and teaching our mind to serve our higher consciousness, our intuition, our meditative mind, whichever sounds right for you in your language. And that's why we we need to work with the mind. That really leads into the sort of part two of this, which is how do our thoughts affect our stress levels? So what happens is that most of us believe everything we think. There's a great quote by the Dalai Lama, don't believe everything you think. You know, it's interesting, as I'm talking about my book, and and I've worked with clients for over 20 years, I'm really learning that the thing with our thoughts is that our thoughts are governed and created out of our past experiences. Our past experiences create lenses. And depending on if we're tired, moody, not feeling well, worried, didn't sleep that night, all these things can affect our ability to be able to be present, centered, and aware. And with COVID on top of that, that just adds another whole lens. So when any of those things are off, these lenses come in and then our mind looks and interprets our life, our experiences, other people, other events, our events through that lens. And the yogis believe that our mind's purpose is to analyze it. You know, the mind thinks in polarities. And so if we're not aware that our mind's just creating thoughts to make sense of things, then we often will believe what I'm thinking is real, what I'm thinking is true. 
And as I say in my book, I don't say 100% because I always have a client who loves to challenge me. But I say 98, 99% of the time, anything you think is made up and may or may not be true. So keeping that in mind, you know, we refer to mindless, which is where we're not recognizing that those thoughts are not who we are. They're usually not true. A lot of them are negative. Something that you said in the book really resonated with me or caught my attention because it was regarding how we create our reality. And I absolutely believe that we can create or co-create our realities. But I didn't realize until I read your book. I tend to always focus on the positive side of that. And you mentioned how that's not always such a healthy thing. And so I was wondering if you could expound on that a little bit. So the yogis believe that we have three minds. We have three lenses that we look through in our mind. We have the negative mind. As you were saying, a lot of us tend to go to the negative mind. And the negative mind is not bad either. The negative mind actually is the protective mind. But the issue would be is if that, you know, again, if you think of it as a lens, if that lens is really thick, then that skews our awareness and ability to know what is real danger and what's just my reaction. So if our negative mind, if our protective mind is super overactive, an extreme version would be someone who won't leave their home. I'm so afraid. So they, they stay home all the time. They're, they, they don't leave. They order. Their, now with COVID, you can order everything. You don't have to. But that extreme mind lens skews it. The positive mind, that lens, is our perception. So the best way I explain the overactive positive mind is commercial. Like imagine this is like, here's a new bottle of medicine. This is to help with your headaches. You will never have a headache again, but you will have chronic diarrhea. You can't sleep at night and you're going to have a dry mouth. But this medicine is going to make your headache go away. You must have it. That's an overactive positive mind. It's looking at all the possibilities and the perspectives in the positive lens. So someone who has an overactive positive mind might be constantly getting themselves into the wrong relationships into opportunities where they're always losing money or having fallouts of friends. Like, God, why is this always happening? Because you're saying yes too much. You're just always like, okay, great, easy going. I can do this. Look at this perspective. And if it's too much, you don't have enough of the negative mind, which is the protective mind, then you can trip again, you know, fall. No, I think that's really important because, of course, life is not all positive to begin with, but I do believe it's a balance and we can't avoid the negative. And I think that right. is maybe sometimes what people do is they're trying to completely avoid the negative. And I agree with you. The negative is extremely important. We just don't want to be too far one way or the other. Right. And, you know, the third mind is the neutral mind. And the neutral mind is where we ultimately want to make especially big decisions through. So what happens is the mind is so quick. I mean, a thought crosses your horizon in your mind and you're instantly in your emotion. And sometimes people can't even tell you what they were thinking before they tell you how they're feeling because it's so quick. So part of meditation is to start to learn what are my thoughts and learning that my thoughts are creating my reality. So that negative mind, positive mind, that dance and that happens in a nanosecond. But if it's off, it's really hard to get to the neutral mind and being unattached, living you know, like the Buddhists talk about open hands, you know, being unattached to the outcome. Boy, it's a lot to think about. Well, that leads right into my big question, which is, what is kundalini meditation? So kundalini means awareness. 
And so Kundalini meditation is creating the awareness of ourselves. So a big piece of Kundalini meditation is to build, learn, and understand who we are, all the facets, all the parts that make up who we are. What I like about Kundalini meditations for mental health issues specifically, which we all have a level of mental health issues, is that it's not just a silent sitting and being with your breath, which for people with anxiety, that can actually be the worst thing to do. I've had clients come to me and say, I can't meditate. It makes me feel worse. And that's what we call relaxation induced anxiety. So what I like about chanting and different breath patterns is that you're actually giving your mind something to focus on and it allows us to go deeper and connect to this area of flow that that's, you know, there's a scientist who talks about flow. And then in Kundalini, we talk about Shunya, which is that deep stillness and that meditation really creates space between our thoughts and it changes the quality of our thoughts because our thoughts create how we feel and how we feel creates how we behave. And if we can change our thinking, we can change how we behave because our, our feelings change. One of the things I appreciate about the book, The Stressless Brain, is that it is a manual. You really lay out the psychological factors and the scientific evidence, but then you also include how to do it, like what it does, what, what all the different activities. I don't know what you'd call them. but It is an activity. But I find that very helpful because I do like to understand what's underneath something before I do it. So mm-hmm. I, I do want to share that with our listeners that I didn't know anything about Kundalini meditation until I read your book. And then I also appreciate that you included specific types of meditations to do for different goals. So I think that that's very helpful for someone that's new to this and doesn't really understand it. You mentioned that a person could start a meditation journey in as little as three minutes a day. That would appeal to a lot of people. So I. I'm sure it doesn't stay at three minutes, but could you talk a little bit about maybe how they could benefit even if they start small? Studies have found that three minutes of meditation actually lowers your blood pressure. So something is happening. I've even told clients before, do one minute. Do one minute for a week, add another minute the next week. If we start small, it's building blocks. So here's the thing is that, like I said, three minutes does create a change in your body. And what I tell people, start with three minutes. And then as you find that three minutes goes really quickly, you just add another minute on and you can work your way to 11. 11 minutes is really the number that I like to give out the most, but that can feel sometimes really daunting. And it sounds like silly. It's only 11 minutes, but it does feel overwhelming. Like you're constantly looking at your phone or checking your watch or, you know, the dog distracts you. And I tell them, that's okay. You just keep coming back. You know, this is kind of a funny analogy. And I tease my clients. Most people poop for longer than three minutes or in the bathroom for longer than three minutes. So if you can go in the bathroom for seven minutes and you're usually maybe on your phone, you can sit for three minutes and meditate. That's funny. I do share with my listeners or uh, workshop participants who are really hesitant about meditating. The first time I meditated, I tried three minutes and it was a you know sitting meditation mm-hmm. focused on the breath. And yeah. I am pretty hyper. This was years ago. And I thought, okay, I can do this. I can sit still. And the three minutes felt like a half an hour. Like I thought, oh, it has to be beyond the time now. When I looked at my clock, I was like, was three minutes. And so Mm -hmm. I do have empathy for people who are nervous about it because at first it does feel unnatural in some ways, Mm -hmm. especially in today's society, but it's absolutely worth it to take the time. And I agree with you, just build up. 
with hearing your story, I don't remember the exact pieces of it, but I read this one article of this um, executive, very successful businessman on the East Coast who was with friends and they bet him, I bet you can't sit 10 minutes still without going on your phone. It was like something ridiculous, like $20,000 and he couldn't do it. And he was so disturbed by that, that then he ended up going into his own journey of meditation. And now his whole company does meditation. And he really brought, because he was like, this is ridiculous that I can't sit still for 10 minutes. And part of it is like some of the meditations, like there's one that I give for boundaries, like boundaries in your relationship or boundaries at work. I've given this before, you know, before you go to work and you're, if you're feeling like your boundaries are not being respected, or you're kind of sucking energy from your boss or your coworkers or so forth. I give one that's a movement. So your hands come into prayer pose at your heart center and you say sat, and then your hands come together out and then open and spread to the sides. And that would be Qatar. So the yogis believe that sat means truth and Qatar means the doer. So if you feel comfortable, you can just be like sat, Qatar. If you don't feel comfortable, just say truth, is the doer and you would do this motion for two or three minutes on a sideline it's called heart center opener i call it cutting through the bullshit meditation (laughs) because it's about being at your heart center where we want to be it's you know it's the gateway between earthly experience and soul experience we're cutting through our fears we're cutting through the duality of life and we're going to have an open heart and have boundaries at the same time that's what we want to do is we don't want to close down but we don't want to be a doormat. So the nice thing is sometimes you're so busy, like, oh, am I getting the hands right? And what am I saying? And my eyes are closed. And then before you know it, there's three minutes. And you just do a little bit, like you sit in your car and just do like a little bit in your car and then you go to work and you'll find like, wow, I do feel more protected. I do feel more grounded. I do feel more open. Something that you just said, I would like you to say a little more about, because I know I run into this even with mindfulness meditation. So if someone says to you, well, I can't do this because of my religion, or I don't want to use Sanskrit words because I'm Catholic. I think one of the examples you gave was about a Catholic person. What would you say to that person if they were interested in this? Well, the first thing I say is the Catholics and the Jewish people and the Muslims and the Hindus, they've all been meditating way before we all came up with mindfulness and Kundalini and everything. So meditation has been a part of religion forever. It's just looked a little bit different. So singing hymns is meditation. Reading the Bible or your scriptures out loud is meditation. So that said, what I do is I encourage them, you know, like this one client talk about my book, I spent some time talking with my client about scriptures from his faith, and we found one that felt really grounded to him, really safe and loving and open, and he memorized it, and we incorporated that for his meditation. I am creating a Christian meditation CD that will be in English and in Latin. So here's why I tell people about the Sanskrit and not chanting or singing in our mother tongue. Here's the thing is a lot of us often when we come to meditation, it's because we're feeling disconnected in our life. We're feeling maybe pain, emotional pain, sadness, fear, hurt, anger, feeling stuck. All these things are coming. So sometimes what brings us to meditation is often is something is not working. Something is hurting. So if we're sitting here, and, and again, I'm a huge advocate for chanting, but if we're sitting here and we're doing a chant that's saying English, like let's say we could say something like, I'm the glorious, gracious child of God. I'm a joyful, serene, positive, and loving. And that's an affirmation I did in college, like 30-something years ago. I still remember it. But let's say, you know, it's something 
long like that or something simple like I am the grace and connected to everything. Our mind some days might be like, Leonard Ann, you're not really the grace. Who do you think you are? And are you really a part of everything? And why do you always, you know, and it triggers because it's my mother tongue and I relate to words. It can trigger our mind to really analyze. And it's harder to drop into that flow, into the shunya, because our mind gets triggered. Now, if I'm sitting here chanting, sat, katar, sat, katar, A, yes, I can read and see what it means. But if I'm repeating again and again, at some point, I let go of that and I just move into the flow. And the words don't trigger my mind, my insecurities, my fears, my analyzing, and we're able to go deeper. And I tell people, meditation is a washing machine for your brain and for your mind, and chanting a spot remover. Thank you for that, because I try different approaches, because I absolutely believe there's no conflict in it. But I want people to feel comfortable, and kundalini is not quite as middle of the road, maybe, I would say, as mindfulness meditation, right? (laughs) So I've been really encouraging everyone to be curious. Like, you don't have to do it forever. If you don't like it, don't do it again, but give it a try. So I'm just trying to remove those barriers so that people will give it a try. You know, I tell people, try something, anything we should try three times. Because the first time, we're kind of skeptical. The second time, we're maybe a little curious. And the third time, we actually are experiencing it. And after three times, if it's not for you, no problems. Go find something else. But that's that's also one of the tricks. Don't just stop and do nothing. Go and find something else. I like that, the three times, because I agree with you. I know the first time I've tried anything, I'm distracted with the process. You know, I'm not yeah. really experiencing it, so that's great. I know you have a lot of different meditations, but I guess I would ask for your expert advice on if someone was brand new to meditation mm-hmm. in general and they decide they want to experiment with this one to see how it feels. What steps do you suggest they would take? They can't just jump in and do 25 meditations, right? So is there a best way to kind of get started or to ease into it or to, I think you say ease in or jump in, but could you share that a little bit? Yeah. So often I tell people just to do the beginner's meditation, which is a silent one. And you're breathing with the chant, Sat Nam. Sat means truth and Nam means identity. And so you'll, you'll hear my voice. My book comes with 37 free digital downloads. So you'll have all the music. So the first one, the beginner's meditation is just you're sitting comfortably. Eyes are closed. You can lay down. You can sit on your couch. And you would just inhale when you hear the chant Sat. You'd hold your breath. And then you would exhale as you hear the word Nam and then suspend your breath out. So that's a really easy beginner's one. I also find that when clients or people are feeling really desperate in their lives, like they're really kind of tired of hurting, they've reached their bottom. I say you jump in right in with a chanting one and you can start with literally just doing it silent to start. And I talk about this in my book. You would listen to the chant. You would maybe use one called Gunpati, which is great for PTSD and trauma and healing the past. It also helps to make the impossible possible because it helps us to get out of our box thinking. And there's a lot of things. You're moving your fingers, your eye focus, you're chanting. It's really a big chant. It's satanama, rama, dasa, sase, so hung. It's really, but once you get it, it's really easy. But you would start with doing the fingers and listening. And then slowly you might, you might mouth along. Maybe then you'll whisper along and then you'll chant. It's okay to go slowly. 
But I find that I have some people who've never done meditation and it's really foreign, but they're so tired of being miserable and they will just jump in. And then I have clients who come in, they're like, ah, I'm just not quite sure. And then I give them the beginner's one or any of the segmented breath ones because those are, it stimulates the vagus nerve. Well, I think during these challenging times and as we're now entering another, looks like to be another transition, it's more important than ever to have tools, to have techniques that really serve us much better than some of the alternatives we choose when we're feeling stressed or anxious or at the bottom, whatever the case may be. The alternative behaviors for our stress and, and anxiety leaves us with a hangover of some degree, if it's sugar or shopping or drinking or drugs. Meditation doesn't leave you with a hangover. A nice feeling, but not a hangover. Yeah, but not a hangover. Um, I do think it's also important that, and I want to reiterate to our audience, regardless of the type of meditation you practice, the key is practicing and creating a habit to do it. I really believe it daily is important. I agree. It's a short amount of time. And that the list of health benefits, whether it's mental, emotional, or physical, is incredible. And kundalini, just like the other types of meditation we've covered, has been studied. We know it works. We know it just takes the effort to actually do it, right? Yes, yes 100%. I tell people all the time, every day, you know, and I encourage people to do it first thing in the morning because imagine it helps you to get into the channel that you want to operate for the day. And even if it's three minutes, you get up, you go to the bathroom, maybe right away you sit down. And you get a cup of coffee, you turn it on. For the time it's brewing, if it's three and a half or four minutes or even two and a half minutes, if you do that, just think of it. I'm tapping into the frequency that I want to operate in my life. If it's with my children, with my spouse, with myself, with coworkers, with my neighbors, it's that frequency. Yeah, and it's funny. I discovered the effectiveness of meditation in the morning really because I first tried to do it at night and I fell asleep every single time. So I wasn't really experiencing the meditation. I was using it. I mean, I wasn't doing it purposely, but it was putting me to sleep. And so that moved me to the morning. And then I discovered the same thing. It changes the entire way my day goes every single day. So Mm -hmm. I agree with that too. Well, I just want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of your wisdom. Again, I really enjoyed the book and the combination of the psychology and the science behind it, as well as the step-by-step explanation for what the activities mean and how to do them. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a fun time speaking with you. Thank you. Take care. Many thanks to Mother Nan for sharing her insights. Visit her website to access her resources, including audio recordings of her meditations. Plus, you can find more information on her and her book, The Stressless Brain, at muddernan.com. I'm going to spell that for you. It's M-A-D-H-U-R-N-A-I-N. And you can see the entire interview with Muddernan on our YouTube channel, as well as past interviews. I again encourage you to explore various types of meditation to find one that feels like a good fit. Regardless of which type of meditation you practice, we know there are many physical, emotional, and mental health benefits derived from meditating, so it's worth some experimentation. I'm going to try Kundalini just to see what it feels like, as it's quite different from my normal practice. And I agree with Muttern that when trying anything new, try it three times before you make up your mind. 
If it doesn't feel right for you, try another style. And if you're not yet ready for meditation, that's okay too. But please remember to practice mindfulness. Until next time, stay well and be kind. Have a wonderful week. Mindfulness increases our emotional, physical, and mental well-being. It can also enhance our focus and productivity. Perhaps most importantly, mindfulness strengthens our empathy and compassion for others, which I believe we need more of in our world today. So practice mindfulness in everything you do. Spend at least a little time meditating every day. And remember to be kind to yourself and others. We're here to do more than just survive. We can thrive. All it takes to start is a mindful moment. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts and rate this podcast so that others can find us. Follow us on social media at work to live A Mindful Moment is written by Teresa McKee. The English version is hosted by Teresa McKee, and the Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, MediaWrite Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions.